Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin. It's Tuesday morning, the 29th of August. A very good morning, a Tuesday morning to everybody listening to us across the Resonate Broadcast Network through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4L in Mount Isa, 4LG Longridge, 4GC Charters Towers in the Hot Country Network. Good morning to you. A huge show for you. We're going to talk, there's a conference going on in Canberra today, Chief Midwife Alison Weatherston will join us shortly. Adrian Roots, who has built a business out of Duringa for junior bucking bulls, will catch up with him. We'll talk with Tim Patterson, Broadleaf Sanders, Kayla Evans from the National Farmers Federation, and a bloke that just loves wood chopping, Mitch Argent. The Broncos arresting a lot of players. We'll talk about that and much, much more. This is Rural Queensland today. You're with Ben Dobbin. Let's get into it. Alistair Weatherston, she joins us next. This is Rural Queensland today across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Ben Dobbin with you this morning. ACM's Chief Midwife, Alison Weatherston, joins us this morning. And a national forum is taking place at Parliament House in Canberra today that will bring together 70 stakeholders and experts in rural maternity care, as well as the Commonwealth and State Health Departments, to try and drive solutions to improve and sustain access to safe and quality maternity care in rural and remote Australia. Now, we know full well that this has been diabolical in Queensland over the last 12 to 18, two years. From shutting down services in Theodore and Chinchilla to the debacle that went on in Gladstone and with ladies having to give birth on the side of the road at the Bruce Highway to the midwives and the doctors and the anaesthetists who are all so overworked in this area. Alison, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, I, I'm really, firstly, happy that they're having a National Rural Maternity Services Forum. Um, but gee whiz, it, it, it's, going to st- it's the beginning of a very long road. That's right. Thank you very much for having me this morning. I am looking forward to meeting with key midwifery, medical and health service representatives, but also more importantly, today's event is about meeting with government and Department yeah. of Health representatives. Yeah. How, how difficult is it? I mean, we, I just talked about some of the issues. That's a, tut, that's a starting point. I mean, and they're the ones that have gone mainstream. But the, the midwives are the backbone of the community along with and rural health is so important um how how important is it for the government to listen today to really genuinely listen and get an understanding of the challenges you're not in metropolitan areas where you can just go around the corner to another hospital there, sometimes it's up to three four hundred k's to another service Absolutely. I think the prioritisation of maternity services is absolute. We know that the health of a mother transfers to the health of a baby and then has long-term implications across the lifespan. So what we need is a commitment today to prioritise rural maternity services so that women living in rural areas have the same choice and access to models of care that women do in the city. Well, that's exactly right. So that long-term approach and that view, if they take it, is going to take time. There's no two ways about it. You need to educate, you need to, to relocate, you know, add more, get more services. So what kind of plan is this? What's the short-term fix? Do you go overseas? Do you, is that the answer? Like what, what's the short-term fix to get more midwives into these hospitals? Yeah, 
So what I think the Australian College of Midwives see as a short-term solution is for midwives to work to their full scope of practice, and that is in continuity of midwifery care models, where a woman has a known midwife from their pregnancy through labour and birth and into the postnatal period. And this is really important to then build the multidisciplinary team where doctors living in rural and remote areas uh, have the access to ongoing professional development so they can maintain their skills, especially in uh, communities with lower birthing numbers. But predominantly midwives should be the lead carers in um, maternity care and then work with the wider team. Yeah, and I think that's right, but they need to get paid for that. Like, that's the big Absolutely. thing. I, I mean, the midwives are the heroes. Look, I've got five-month-old twin boys um, that were premature. Um, they came very early, and if it wasn't for the midwives and the neonatal care, um, that, they're the game changers. Yes, the doctors, they're wonderful. They come in, they come out. The anaesthetists, they're there. But the midwives are the ones that are the backbone of all births. And people can say what they want. They're the game changers. Yet they're the ones that are the least paid, the overworked, the unappreciative, um, and not recognised enough. So what you're saying makes sense, but, you know, you know they just can't – the government are going to have to pay. They're going to have to pay. They're going to have to make it more attractive as well financially. So – I mean, you guys do this because of a love of children and it just is, it's in the DNA. People, why would anybody just join it unless, you know, there needs to be a financial reward for it as well? Yes, I absolutely agree with that. And there needs to be incentives to prioritise permanent recruitment. We need to stop the dependence on the locum workforce because that doesn't provide continuity to women and families. And we know the benefits of continuity of care. They reduce preterm birth and stillbirth. They increase a woman's positive birth experience. But also midwives like working in these models. And in Queensland, there are about 24% of continuity models of care. So the government really needs to increase access to continuity of care models. And I know in Queensland, there was a recent announcement about a commitment to expanding midwifery group practice models of care and the introduction of a chief midwife. So I think that's going to play a significant role in improving access to rural maternity services. Yeah, and, and that's at each hospital. Obviously, one of the areas as well that we're talking about, and, and, and I'm sure you'll be addressing, is focusing on some support for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women. They're, they're, um, and, and, and women of culture as well. Um, we need to have a safe pro- practice for them as well, and... That needs to be highlighted and I'm sure that's part of what you guys will be talking about today, but that's a whole can of worms as well. Absolutely. So our priority population groups need to be prioritised, absolutely. And I, having lived and worked in many rural and regional areas across Australia, our First Nations women and families need to be able to access birthing on country, birthing in our community models and continuity with a midwife. and really they need to be having this care led by First Nations midwives and doctors and that's what we will be prioritising today. Are, are, are you disillusioned? Can I ask that? Um, I talk about this a lot on this show and, and somebody who absolutely um, loves rural and regional Queensland, No, I know what's gone on. It's horrific and I don't understand 
why, I mean, Everdath's gone now, but I don't understand why it took so long to make change. I don't understand why they allowed it to go on and it went mainstream. It went, like, when you look at this now as a midwife and you have to go through these conditions every day and you're seeing the risk that mums are being put in because of actions of people who have no idea, how disillusioned are you and the people that you work with, the women that you work with every day? I have to remain really positive because what we need to do is um, promote people to join the profession. It really is at its best an amazing profession, but that's not without acknowledging how tough it is, especially for rural midwives and women and families at the moment. Um, They're working understaffed. They're having to travel significantly long distances. And I work and live in rural communities, so I also know and experience firsthand these challenges. And I think um, we are joining together with like-minded people today. They're doctors, health professional leaders, and midwives who are absolutely determined not to stop um, pushing for the prioritisation of rural maternity services. In a high-income country like Australia, it's just not acceptable to have such a huge gap in healthcare for rural and remote women. And we also know that life expectancy in alone in rural areas is reduced compared to the city. Just not good enough. So I think what I, my role is as the chief midwife is to encourage midwives to keep going while we continue to lobby government and lobby those in high positions and leadership positions to really um, prioritise maternity services. And we need support. We need ongoing professional education we need education. We need incentives to live and work rurally because it sounds like even you could agree that the benefits of living in a rural area oh. are amazing when you're part of the community. 100%. Off the back yeah. of that think tank that you hosted um, in May, there was a lot of you know discussion. Can you take what happened in May today to this forum? Can that, will, that, will that translate or are you beginning again? We're definitely not beginning again. So the think tank in May was a really great opportunity to get all stakeholders together to put on the table what we thought our individual priorities were. Then collectively, we're moving that forward. And today we have government representatives, Department of Health reps, and it's being led by the Rural Health Commissioner, uh, Professor Ruth Stewart. And so with her lead and having that real focus on rural maternity care and health, I think we're in a good position today for a government that I'm hoping will listen. Yeah, I think this is a great thing. Um, I I really hope that we can get to some solution and that they can listen and that they want to make change. Uh, That's the big thing, that they want to take on board what you guys are saying, the experts who live and breathe it every day because it has to change. Alison, great to chat. Absolutely. Great to chat. Thank Thank you you so much. much. Good on you. We'll catch up with you again shortly. Appreciate your time. No problem. Thank you so much. Bye. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Well, not everybody is going into the CQLX uh, to buy bulls uh, this year or buying bulls to go back out to work, to chase cows. There are people um, who are listening to us who have small little hobby farms or who absolutely just want to go in a different direction and buy miniature bulls. Well... 
I'm lucky enough to speak to Adrian Roots, a breeder of miniature bulls. He's based in Duringa, just outside of Rockhampton, and uh, he joins us this morning on rural Queensland today. Adrian, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, how you going? Good morning. Mate, how does one get into breeding miniature bulls? <clears throat> oh, mate, it, it all came about in 2012. Um, my wife and I went to Las Vegas to the PBR World Finals, and we saw the the miniature bucking bulls that they had for the kids over there. Yep. Um, thought it was a pretty cool idea. And we had young kids at the time and, and it just sort of sparked an interest that we thought we we should kick it off and, and try and do something in Australia along the same line. Yeah, and the big thing about it is um, that, that there's always a young kid who wants to be a bull rider, boys and girls, as little kids. And... There's never been a real – we've seen mutton busting and we've seen stuff like that, and I know exactly what you're talking about. So how did you go about starting? I mean, it's one thing to see an idea and go, listen, I reckon we could do something like this. Um, and then how did you turn a, a dream into reality? Uh, mate, we, we started probably, probably the hard way, I guess. Um, we're pretty lucky where we are now that we're breeding most of our bulls, but – we started by buying every miniature bull on Facebook, out of sale yards, gum tree, yeah, word of mouth, anywhere we anywhere we could get them. We've bought bulls from all over Queensland. We've got bulls up from Victoria. We've got them from wherever we could to sort of get what we wanted, what we thought we needed. So what what is in like is it a low line like what are we talking from a miniature bull perspective or is it a breed? Can you just explain all that? Uh, yeah, the, so there's a few. There's low lines, um, Dexters, uh, miniature Herefords are a breed. There's miniature Highlanders, Belted Galloways, um, Zebus, which are yep. look pretty much like a miniature Brahmin. Yep. Um, and then then we started crossing all of those. Um, we have put bits of smaller breeds of cattle that aren't actually miniature. We have little bits of like longhorn and stuff to get yeah. some colour and some some horns, get some looks. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the the whole deal is they ha- they have to be under one point two meters. That's like a with the miniature, you know, showing cattle and sure. stuff like that. Sure. Their rule is under one point two meters. Is their height? Yeah, I get that. So yeah. Okay, so when you when you get these bulls and you breed them and that, that process to, from starting off and buying them and then and just starting to breed your own way, then you've got to find them to buck and then you've got to obviously teach them to buck as well. So that's a process as well. No different than when you're breeding bucking bulls yourself. Um, but the process to get a string together, no doubt, and then see, righto, well, you're out of that. You're out of that cow. Okay, we're gonna. We, we know that, and starting to get some bloodlines. Or did you get overseas bloodlines in and do a bit of AIing in the process? Mate, we definitely were before COVID going down the line of um, importing semen, yep. and then that all got too hard. Um, and so we've gone away from that now, and we're probably these last few years we've got it into our programs enough myself and, and there's a few other guys in the country doing it and we all sort of swap and share around and yeah we just breed the bull same as the big guys we just look for different attributes so we you know um we're we're breeding for a specific job so we have our peewee bulls for our real little kids we we want big cool looking bulls that that don't um don't buck a lot and then 
through to our older kids. You know, we want some balls that jump and kick and turn back and that the kids can have a lot of fun on. So then you get this idea and then you, Adrian, and we're talking with Adrian Roots, uh, breeder of miniature bucking bulls out of Duringa. You've got to get them to rodeos and you've obviously got to put them in a program. So, I mean, every rodeo is looking for a program like this, but they're always, you know, traditionally, you know, your bronc, your, sat, your, your bronc, your bareback, you know, your rope and tie and all these different other programs. There's always a little bit of mutton busting. So was it hard to sell the dream that, hey, we've got these mini bulls and, you could run this competition in conjunction with the rodeo. Yeah, it was a little bit hard at the start, just um, changing a few, few you know, older heads. Yeah, sure. Um, ideas, but I got really lucky almost by accident. I tried to sell it through some amateur associations um, to get the program up and running, and kind of hit a couple of brick walls and whatever, and and by a happy accident, ended up talking to um, Glenn Young, the boss of the PBR. Good man, and, real good man. And yeah. he, um, yeah, we, by coincidence, we were running a big event and they clashed and, and Glenn said he didn't want to hinder our event. So he let let us take the finals for the mini bull championships in Australia to a PBR and run our short go there. And that was his first taste of it. He got to see them and, and he liked what he saw and, so then we created the PBR Junior Academy, yeah. um, and that's that's our main avenue now. We do we do lots of of rodeos. Um, the mate Chris Christensen at Miriamvale, him and I, we did three rodeos just this Saturday. Gone. He was at at uh, Mary Valley. Um, we had bulls at Capella, and we had bulls at the PBR at Bloomsbury. Oh my god! So, it, so how many bulls? Us- how many bulls in your string now? Like. I love these stories because what was you saw a dream and you followed it, and it's taken some time. And there would have been some dry gullies, no doubt about it. But how many yeah. bulls in the string now are you are you turning out, and who are bucking each weekend? Well, we've sort of got there's over a hundred here. I mean, there's probably sort of eighty odd corbels that sort of float around every weekend, and then there's um they're sort they're very soft compared to a rodeo. Sure, ball, sure, a hundred percent, yeah. Your we pets. get, you know, and they get, um, so they get spelled. If, they, if they've if they had a couple of weeks and they've been ridden a bunch of times and, and they're getting a bit tired, we try and leave them at home and take some fresh ones. And, and um, so, yeah, there's probably um, probably sort of between 60 and 80 core bulls and then the other ones here that sort of fill the gaps and that you don't see very often and then young ones coming up and, and whatnot as well. So, um, yeah, there's plenty of, plenty of bulls getting around and then we've got, sort of 40 cows now that are all that are all bred I mean every year that you breed you get half females and half males so yeah so you're just working yeah. on talk to me about the youngest bull riders that sit on your bulls and the, the boys and girls and and what who, what's the oldest age uh, the oldest age is, is cut off at 15 for, for miniature bulls because yep. of the, the the bulls are restricted to a size limit we've got to cut it off there to yep. keep the kids to a similar size limit, you know. Yep. Um, but young-wise, it's all um, mostly now our associations, their insurance companies limit us at seven, but there is some associations that don't have a bottom limit on the kids. So we have bulls, the youngest, you know, we've had kids as young as two years old get on some of our bulls that we just call walk-trot bulls, and they, yep. just, they just walk out and 
and oh. uh, walk around the arena and how good yeah the kids love it how good oh mate i love that you can make a business out of this i think it's phenomenal um so are you still in the market are you still looking if people have it or you've very much now got a you, you you've got your breed and and the way your breeding operation is going now that you don't look outside what you're doing and the other breeders of these mini bulls in in australia oh no no we definitely still um if the right ones come up, we you know we still we still buy bulls. We just tried to. Um, I'll assure you now the cattle prices are down again. We'll be buying a few again, but yeah, sure. we were lucky enough to sort of twelve months ago when the prices were so high, we were lucky enough not stay to stay out of it. The need to be in that market, um, but no, we definitely. If we see something that we think suits, we. We'll buy it for sure. Oh, I love that story. Hey, great. What's your website, mate? How do people get in contact with you? Uh, just Back to Roots Rodeo Company on um, on Facebook. That's yep. we sort of. Yep, sure. We that's don't do the way it. To, no, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Back to Roots Rodeo Company on Facebook. And yeah. people can go there. Yeah. Hey, Adrian, great to chat, mate. Really, really appreciate your time and a great story for a Queensland business. I just love it. Thanks so much for being with us. No worries, thank you. Good on you. We'll take a break, come back, Rural Queensland today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Uh, ben Dobbin with you on this Monday morning, the 28th of August. Now, on Monday the 11th of September at the Ralston Livestock and Grain Selling Complex, um, there is a awesome sale taking place. Uh, the annual Ralston Santa Catrudis and Angus bull sale um, and I'm lucky enough to have Tim Patterson from Broadleaf Santa Catruda Stud joining us this morning. Uh, Tim, good morning, and thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, good morning, Ben. Yeah, mate. Obviously, um, firstly, congratulations. What what an awesome drop of balls that you're presenting, um, and it, and it's very clear. People can go to broadleafsantacatrudas.com.au. The first thing I noticed about y- y- your Santa bulls was just how tidy underneath they are, and and, and and from a Santa perspective, good bulls that will go out and work, they're tough-looking bulls that absolutely have been bred in the conditions in the ticks on bubble grass that know how to go and get the job done. Yeah, yeah, that's what we've been aiming for for, for a while now, Ben, and um, it's all sort of coming, to, coming together for this year's drop of bulls. So they're looking really good. Yeah, obviously... Um, Bred, bred in the central and all bulls around that um, just two-year-old, um, a lot of bulls, you know, younger than that. It, so they're, they're, they've got their life in front of them. And the big thing about these bulls are that, from the Santa perspective, is that you can you can buy these bulls now knowing that they're going to get your calves. And, and despite the way the market is and the season conditions are, that you're working towards two to three years away, and that's what you've got to have your mindset. A bull today, yes, season, if you don't go and buy these bulls, you're going to put yourself behind from a business perspective. You've got to look at really where your business is going in two to three years, and they're on a lot of people in central Queensland from Ralston right in the back door. And so these bulls, obviously, it's all about genetics and your cow herd as well. That's what you've been working on, how how big a cow herd, and, and look, you obviously put the knife to a lot of bulls um, that become steers, so these are the cream of the crop. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Ben, and, and we put a pretty stringent um, test 
for morphology and and um, crash side tests and and um, we're using Sedwise and Rocky Repro for that and um, yep. they're, they're, um, they're sort of gold standard as far as morphology goes and um, so we yeah we won't put up any sub bulls and, and that's what we want them to do we want them to go out and breed breed cattle for, for your next generation of calves yeah and, and it's very, very true. All broadleaf Santa Catrudas bulls have been vet inspected and, and semen morphology tested. Seven in one, three-day sickness, Vibrio 3 germ. They've been pre-treated for ticks and they're ready to clear in the clean zone. So, um, you know, bottle tree downs is um, JBAS 7 compliant and so people need to know that a supplementary sheet will be available with weights and EMAs and fat scans on the day. So said wise is um, from AB Services and Rocky Repro, he's as good as it gets. Leonie Stone Scanning Services, uh, Lonnie Stone Scanning Services were the scanning and all that has been done. Now, the Caledon Angus Bulls as well, they've been uh, vet, they've all been done as well. They're exactly the same. Now, you can talk to obviously yourself, Tim, or Glenn McKinlay. It's very, very easy. Um, and it starts at 11am. When can people come and inspect the bulls? Well, we'll, ha- we'll have them um, ready to go on um Sunday afternoon, if yep. anyone wants to come through then. Yeah. Or um, Monday morning, we'll be back there from about eight thirty. Yeah. Um, yeah, they'll be they'll be ready to go. So um, yeah, they'll be all in there ready and settled in. Well, on uh, Sunday afternoon and. Yeah, the big thing about yeah. it is the big thing about it is that people need listening today is that you know broadleaf sand is a, a twenty a, a bottle tree down twenty k's west of Rolston. It's very easy. They're, they're there. Now, Caledon Angus bulls are 28k south of Springshaw. These are in the central, in the heartland. So people listening to us today, you you need to know that these bulls will go and work. They've done it. They, they've been bred there, and you can get and trust everything about it. Now, if you can't get their elite livestock auctions, we'll be also operating the sale with a live stream and event. And you've also got uh, Grant Daniel Long, GDL, um, and Greg Hargraves from Country Cove. So GDL, Matt Pierce from GDL, Greg Hargraves from Country Cove. So this sale is being supported and it's ready to go. A very good opportunity for people to go and buy quality bulls, um, especially these Santa Catrudas bulls from Broadleaf, which are, are very, very good bulls. You must be really proud of them, Tim. I mean, you worked hard at it. It's been a long, long time that you've been passionate about this and, and these bulls, they really stand up. The, the catalogue, I've had a look at the catalogue last night. The photos look amazing. Um, mate, they've been on oats, um, obviously, to try and finish them. Had a lick of grain as well, no doubt. But these bulls look like, you know, very much grass-raised and red. Yeah, well, that, that's our um, bread and butter. That's where we try and try and get them um, for longevity and for... Um, to go out and do the job without falling apart, but we don't want them overdone. And the Calendar and Angus are the same. They just they've had a had a pretty rough upbringing to start with, and and we put them through those rigors to to make them stand up. Um, I will say that Glenn's got um, fifteen ultra blacks up with his Angus this year. Yep. Um, it's something new for him, and um, they're um, yeah, well. Um, 
Beautiful, beautiful bulls. Yeah, that man. And I mean, there's a real opportunity for people at the Ralston Livestock Complex, 11 a.m. Monday, the 11th of September. The annual Ralston Santa Catrudis and Angus Bull Sale. Really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Ben. Good on you, Tim Patterson from Broadleaf Santas, and and really good cattle. Had a look at the cattle. Really good cattle. Tidy underneath and go to work. We'll take a break. That sale is the 11th of September, 11 a.m. Start. We'll take a break. Come back with more. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Kayla Evans National Farmers Federation is joining us this morning and the Farmers Federation is calling on young people to consider a career in agriculture. And the Ag Career Start Program is a collaboration between the National Farmers Federation and the Federal Government. And it's now in its third year and it enables school leavers to experience life on the land and develop skills necessary for a career in agriculture. Now, I can only speak from first-hand experience that I was one of the people, and this wasn't around when I started, when I started in agriculture, but I literally came out of boarding school in Sydney and went to the Territory and started my way and then obviously had a career and still have a career in agriculture to this day. So these kind of programs are imperative. We're really lucky to have Kayla Evans joining us this morning. Kayla, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us on Rural Queensland today. Oh, thanks so much, Ben. It's great to be here. Uh, this is such a big and important um, discussion to have. We are gripped with labour shortages like we've never seen before. And we yep. are trying to p- bring people in from overseas. But what we are really needing to do, and the National Farmers Federation has been imperative and, and strong on this, is employ from within, grow from within, give people more opportunities to use agriculture as a pathway. And that's what the National Farmers Federation are really hell-bent on doing. Absolutely. I think for us, it's, it's you know, the labour shortages part of it is definitely one part of it. The other part of it is that, and um, what we're seeing through this program, is that there are young people in this country who do want to have a crack at agriculture. They just don't know how. And I think what we've got to remember is we've got generations now of young people who are so removed from agriculture and the industry and where their food comes from. When they're thinking about pursuing it as a prospective career, they would have no idea where to even get started. Who should they talk to? What employers are out there? They just don't know. And so I think this program is really fantastic in providing a single point of entry that gives them access to employers all over the country in any different farm or industry. So what, what, you're so right. We all had a cousin and or we had friends and we used to go out there for weekends, whereas the big big areas of the metropolitan areas just don't have any connection to the bush. They go to a supermarket or they see something on TV, they don't understand and they don't live and breathe it. So selling the dream is as much as that. So if you can go to the schools and give the school leaders leavers, take it back a step further if they can do agriculture and learn about it through the syllabus, which that's a whole nother chat. But the National mm-hmm. Farmers Federation are, are clearly trying to provide pathways to people. So talk to us about that. Talk to us about the pathways for a school leaver and what the National Farmers Federation is offering. Absolutely. 
So this particular pathway is for um, anyone, whether you've got experience or no experience, whether you've stepped foot on a farm before or you haven't. Um, and this program is cross-sectoral, so we cover everything from uh, cattle, sheep, you know, large livestock, all the way through to we've got placements in aquaculture and seafood uh, and all, all the areas in between, such as horticulture, viticulture, um, cropping, cotton, you name it. Um, and so I think through the program, participants get to preference, how far they're willing to move from home uh, and also which farm type they would like to work in. And then our team at the National Farmers Federation do the hard work of matching them. And so it's not just about finding them a job, we match them with the best placement for them. So we'll look at their application in its entirety and, and think about what's going to be the best type of farm host for them. Um, and make that match on those grounds versus, you know, just signing them up for a job. And then once they are on farm, for us, it's the pastoral care that we provide through the program is critical. Um, when you've got young people going to farm for the very first time, they're going to experience a slew of challenges that they just never realised they were going to come across. They're going to be in a brand new environment, uh, learning all these skills, working a long, you know, full-time job for the first time in their lives, most of them. So it can be quite a shock. And so through the program, we provide dedicated pastoral support to those participants just to make sure they're not alone. Yeah. Uh, and then also it's about training them and embedding them in the industry so we have a better chance of retaining them long term. And so through the program, they all get a $4,500 bursary, which they can spend on training and upskilling. And that could be anything from doing this. this huge. Here. Yeah, this is huge. <laughs> how, do, how do people get it? Like, I, I, I feel like this is a secret that we need to start sharing. So there'll be people who live in regional areas who, you know, are born in regional remote areas, don't want to move to the city, but don't have mm -hmm. access to get on the bush and don't know where to go. And, mm -hmm. you know, we need to try and get this. So how do people get in contact with you? How do people start the process? Yeah, absolutely. So the best way to do that is through the website. So that's agcareerstart.com.au. Otherwise, we are on most forms of social media. I'm very happy for anyone to send us uh, a message on social media or just via the website, the easiest way. Um, but we do a lot of school visits. We go to a lot of careers events. And if we're around your location, typically we'll be posting things on social media. We can always come and have a chat to us. That is just awesome. How many kids so far have taken up? And what's the and what, what, how many a year? What's the, the, the great way mm -hmm. moving forward? So we've been um, scaling since the program started. So last year's cohort was 30 nationally. This year we've got 70 on farm nationally. And then next year we'll be placing 100 young Australians across the country. My God, how good. Now, the, the one thing is for kids, but we need more people that want to have kids placed on their properties. What's the process yeah. there? Absolutely. So similar thing, all host farmers or host employers have to apply to the program. And essentially what we're looking for is people with the right mindset around mentoring and upskilling an inexperienced person. Um, we are not shy about the fact, you know, it's not always going to be easy employing someone with no experience. It will take a lot of work and a lot of time investment. But we are looking for people who see the value in doing that, um, no matter the outcome. But the good news is for most of our host farmers, um, more than half of them were able to retain their participants last year and we're expecting similar numbers again this year. So, um, And you place them, you place family with the, the right people. Like you, you look at yeah. each each case, no doubt, and look and go, righto, we think those, those kids are going to work really well at Julia Creek. Um, yeah. You know, you might be on a cotton farm in Moree. Um, mm. You know, like it, it, 
It's place for place. You're not going to and, – and obviously you just don't set and forget. You, you obviously are checking in. You're looking at this. Mm. You're following through Absolutely. the journeys. That's the big thing. Like, And so this is a game changer. It should never have got to this. It actually should never have got to this. We had ag colleges mm. that we were we were churning kids through, but the National Farmers Federation, to their credit, have taken the ball up and now are getting this done. Um, with the goal of 100 kids, where's the end point? What's the end point for you, do you believe? Well, we'd, we'd love to secure long-term funding for this program. At, at the moment, it is, it's a Commonwealth-funded program and that funding is due to run out um, at the completion of next year's cohort. We'd obviously wow. love to see our 2025, 26 cohort and further. Um, so that's a big goal for us. Um, but other than that, it's about, you know, the sisters that we've had on farm so far, staying in touch with them, maintaining the alumni cohort or network that we have through the program and just keeping them connected with each other and us and the Federation and, you know, long into their careers and just keeping an eye on where they go. Fantastic. Australian agriculture is the most important industry in Australia. Feeds the nation. Nine, $90 billion a year to the economy and we're, we're having to beg for funding. I mean, seriously. Um, awesome. Uh, so proud that National Farmers Federation are doing this um, and you can go info, like, you know, ag career... That's where you go, National Farmers Federation, our career. It's there. It's all there. Um, Kayla Evans from National Farmers Federation, really appreciate your time this morning. Uh, me too. Thanks, Ben. Good on you. We'll take a break, come back with all, more. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin. Tuesday morning, the 29th of August. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Um, Aussie Woodchopper, um, Mitch Argent, joins us this morning. G'day, Mitch. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to talk to you again, mate. Um, you obviously from Blackbutton, you just finished at the Ecker. Um, it was the biggest prize money pool. It was a huge Champions of Champions, and they had the national championships there at the Ecker this year, which was just awesome. How was it, mate? Yeah, it was good. Uh, probably the biggest biggest competition the Ecker's had for years. I think there was eight Australian titles there. They're all up, so they had the, the best guys from all around the world there. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't end up winning any, but um, I cut second and third a few in a few of the big championships. So um, I was pretty, pretty happy with that. Um, mate, um, you won the champions of champions though over the course of it. I know you know the course of the series, but just for having that kind of exposure at the Echo, and I know that from sponsorship and prize money, it all, it all came forth. That was pretty special, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. The sponsors not do a great job putting up the prize money there, so we can put on a, um, a world class woodchop for everyone to come and enjoy the Ecker. But yeah, winning the, the champions and champions, it's um, it's run throughout the whole year, and it's the overall winner of champ of Queensland champion. So yeah, to win that, I missed out last year, but to win it back this year, I was um, I was pretty pleased with that. So it's probably the highest. Um, Accolade in, in wood chopping in Queensland, so oh, very good to win. There's no two ways about it, um, and mate, you're one of the superstars. But you've got the echo. But I like this more than anything. Um, September 16th, the Still Timber Sports Australian Pro Championship is taking place in Wollongong, and mate, yep. this is your bread and butter. Talk to me about yep. how. I mean, you chop wood, right? You love it, and yep. But never, I, I, I suspect, in your wildest dreams, did you think it'd go to this place? And I know you've been a part of this before. Like these Timber Sports Australian Pro Championships, they are huge and there's big prize money ahead. And it's awesome for not only the sport, but for yourself, mate, you know, just for the exposure perspective and, and where it can take you. 
yeah, definitely the the still championships is, is probably the biggest event we have all year. So uh, <clears throat> to win that would be bloody awesome and get overseas. But yeah, hopefully make the Chopperoos team. I've missed out a couple of years with you know with COVID and then had a uh, knee injury last year. So um, hopefully get back in that Chopperoos team and get over to Europe and, and compete in the World Championships is the is the goal. So mate, talk to us about the what's in the, the timber sports competition. Can you talk to us about that still? So what takes place on the 16th? Yes. So the still timber sports is, um, it's six disciplines. So there's three three chopping disciplines with the axe and then three with um, two chainsaw events and one cross-cut saw event. So, and um, whoever ends up with uh, year points, so whoever gets whoever wins the, the one event gets uh, the highest points. So I think it's 12 points. And then at the end of the day, whoever's got the most points over the over the six disciplines is is the winner and then they get to go to Europe to represent Australia as a individual Australian champion so that's the goal mate that'd be so good to be able to go over to Europe and and do that um what 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 do you need to do i know i know covid ruled everybody out and i understand you know with the injury but what do you need to do is is there a lot of prep before that mate for you there is um, pretty lucky this year. We're doing a lot of just chopping. So, my chopping disciplines are um, pretty good. Like my uh, standing block underhand, they're um, pretty good. So, the next couple of weeks, I'll just concentrate on me, me sawing events. They're probably not quite as strong as me chopping events. So, I'll do a bit of homework on them, and um, and hopefully, I can get me hot saw started. They're, they're pretty temperamental sort of thing. So, it all comes down to hot saw at the steel series. So, um, hopefully, hopefully, it starts and I can get a good run and, and get a few points on the board. So, mate, what are you doing? You know, when you're not chopping wood, is that is that your profession during the during the week, or is this just dead set your side hustle? Um, sort of a side thing, but I'm still chopping wood if I'm not yeah, um, sure. chopping wood. So I'm in the I'm in a logging work for a mill logging contractor. So yep. I'm, yeah, if I'm not if I'm not swinging the axe, I'm normally swinging off a chainsaw or cutting <laughs> trees down. So yeah, so sort of yeah, it's hobby, but you're still doing the same sort oh, of thing. Yeah, you just love it. You just love it. So I mean. This industry, this industry is huge, and and the competitors are unbelievable. Who are the who are the challenges? Who are the you, you're one of the best in Australia, and I say that results speak for it. So statistically, and everything that you've done, that's why you're regarded one of the best. But who's your competition? Um, well, there's there's twelve all in it, but the the main guys that are always sort of at the the top of the table is um, Brad Delosis from from around Sydney area, then Lawrence O'Toole from. Melbourne, and then Braden Meyer. I think he he's probably the man to to beat this year. He's been on fire, been winning everything. So yeah, I think Braden will probably one of them three. I think will be the hard guys. So um, then we've got a couple of other Queenslanders, Jimmy Head and, and Jake Dingle. So they they'll be right up there too. But I think I think Braden or Braden Lawrence and um, Brad they're sort of always pretty competitive. They're good at all six disciplines, so they're very consistent. So to get over them would be that's the goal. Yeah, well, the work. I mean, you just you have to. Do you do any weights? I mean, if you're you're a professional athlete, and I say that definitely. Like, is it just like do you have to get fit? Like, I, I have no idea about this, and I'm not trying to be in any way um, rude. Or is it just mate, just day to day, and then you go at it? Oh, we do a lot of. I don't do much in the the gym or anything like that, but I do. I do a lot of training at home, a lot of um chopping at home. I've got a training ring set up just. For them events, you know, so I try and cut um, two or three logs a day of an afternoon at work. So just just training at home, really. I, the best way to train for, for something is do, to do what you do, is what I believe. So um, 
yeah, I just trained at home by myself. I've got a training room. My brother does a bit of chopping too, so we sort of train together and just, just yeah, just chop wood at home is uh, is how I train. But yeah, a lot of fellas go to the gym and do a few other things, but I believe if you do what you competing, uh, train like you're competing, that's the best way to train. Yeah, you did right. I think it's fantastic that you're doing this. Uh, congratulations on winning Champions of Champions at the ECA, but also... Uh, best of luck for the Still Timber Sports Australian Pro Championship taking place in Wollongong on Saturday the 16th. Um, I think that's a phenomenal. Um, it's Australia's original extreme sporting competition and athletes complete in six disciplines, three with the axe and three with the saws, um, which I love, like the, the stock saw, the hot saw um, with up to 80 horsepower, uh, the saw disciplines, and then you've got the underhand chop, the standing block chop and the springboard Best of luck, mate. All right, we can't wait to see how you go from Blackbutt to Wollongong. How bloody good. And then hopefully on to Europe with the Chopperoos. That's the plan. Hopefully go all right. Thanks, mate. Appreciate your time this morning. No worries. Thanks for having me. Good on you. We'll take a break. Come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Well, it doesn't come as any surprise that Kevin Walters has made one of the bravest decisions of his coaching career. This Thursday night, Brisbane take on the Melbourne Storm. And all roads pointed to Brisbane having a victory and winning the minor premiership, the JJ Gilton Shield. Brisbane, only four years ago, were wooden spooners. And in three seasons as coach, Kevin Walters has got them to the top of the competition after 27 rounds of rugby league. But there's a bigger picture at play and something that I believe Kevin Walters has made the right decision. He's going to rest his superstars. So Herbie Farmworth won't play this weekend. Selwyn Cobbo won't play this weekend. Reese Walsh won't play. Ezra Mam, Adam Reynolds, who's injured. Pat Carrigan, Payne Huss. And also, when you look at it, they're also going to rest Kurt Capewell. Putting all those blokes on the bench is a smart decision. Giving them a rest is a smart, smart decision. Brisbane are guaranteed a top two finish. They can't not finish in second place. And whether or not they take on Melbourne in week one of the semifinals at home, all the New Zealand Warriors, well, that's dependent on the results of how Penrith go against the Cowboys and how Brisbane go against Melbourne on this Thursday night with a short turnaround after a real battle in Canberra. The draw is favourable because of the hard work of what they've done. And for Kevin Walters... What he's saying is, let's rest up, get right for week one of the semifinals. Now, there is some selection headaches. There's no two ways about it. But when you look at exactly how they're going, it makes a lot of sense to me that Brisbane are really going to try and test their muscle in week one. Kevin Walters could have gone and won the minor premiership, which a lot of coaches would love to have that. But he's looking at the bigger picture. He's looking at... Let's give them all the rest, let's get them back on track and let's be back for week one of the semifinals. Brisbane are an unbelievable football team and can win the comp, can win the competition. And that speaks volumes of how far this side has come under the watch of Kevin Walters. I worry about sometimes that people are looking at it going, oh, poor, poor, poor Kevin, why would he do that? Why would he stop the fence? He's a week out from the semifinals. Are Melbourne Storm resting five players? Yes, they are. 
Yes, they are. So don't be surprised when both sides come out and it looks very much like a trial. Now, I know the fans that have bought tickets, I know all of this kind of stuff, but in all seriousness, this is not something that you muck around with. The Storm are guaranteed a fourth spot in the competition and Brisbane are guaranteed a top two finish, so they've got a home semi. That's all they wanted to do. Home semi, week one. Why would he put risk of injury, HIA and all these other things to put their team at risk, considering that Adam Reynolds and also Patrick Carrigan were injured during training practices over the course of the week. He grappled with it a lot. It was a brave decision, and it was the right decision. Now, what happens from there, I think we all know that Brisbane will either, if they win the minor premiership, they will take on a Melbourne Storm side that looks very different to what it will look like on Thursday night. And also what will happen is the team will look very different the following week for the Brisbane Broncos. Expect Marty Tapa'u to come back into the side. Expect uh, Dean Mariner's injured, but you'll see Jesse Arthurs. You might even see a young bloke not by the name of Israel Leota. But either way, this side will be very, very different to what it looked like last Saturday night. Is it the right decision? Yes. Are Brisbane putting insurance in place? Yes, they are. And that will, in, in real terms, make everything a lot easier moving forward. Good decision, yes. Right decision, yes. Really happy for it. Tom Flegler will play. Other than that, I think it's a very, very brave decision by Kevin Walters and one that I think we all respect. Go the Broncos. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland today for Tuesday morning, the 29th of August. A very good morning to everybody. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I certainly have. And we'll be back tomorrow morning from 9am. Ray Hadley to join you next. Have a wonderful Tuesday. Here's hoping you get under some of those storms. It was patchy storms last night throughout Queensland. And we will come back to you next time tomorrow morning, 9am. Remember, when the wheat is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. Stay safe on the roads and listen to Rural Queensland today with Ben Dobbin from 9am every single weekday. See you later, Queensland. I'll catch up with you again tomorrow.